Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. The US soccer calendar needs to change. We explain why. MLS drops more details about their next TV deal. De Classica, Champions League and Philly NYCFC suffer from technical problems. And we share our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnair. My name is Christopher Harris. Kartik, it's been a week since uh, we've spoken. Uh, what, what have you been up to? Up to? Been watching uh, last week. We talked about Get Back, the the fantastic uh, Beatles um, fly in the wall documentary. Have you seen anything of interest in this past week that uh, would blow our minds? Yeah, I've been rewatching uh, the. Uh, well, I have to say, I haven't started the Juventus uh, All or Nothing yet. I, I guess I, I will at some point. I've been watching. I rewatched uh, the QPR documentary. Which was uh, again? <laughs> How many times? <laughs> well, no, this is like the tenth time. But the first time in like a year and a half or two years, I've watched it, and then uh, and it just re- reminds me of stuff. There are players I forget about from that era, right? Second division, championship level players I forget about, and also interestingly, a documentary on HBO Max about Agnelli, um, uh, which I believe is the grandfather or. Uh, uncle of the current Agnelli, who's running Juventus. So uh, about uh, about about uh, him and Fiat and Juventus and all of those things in the 1970s and 1980s. So really interesting uh, documentary to watch, and also gives you kind of a background into the money into Juventus. Now that logically that's a place to jump off and watch All or Nothing because I, I do understand there have been plenty of spoilers on Twitter. There is. Um, they go through the Super League thing, uh, maybe from a very sanitized pro-Juventus. Mm. Juventus, remember, is one of three clubs that still have not officially withdrawn from the Super League, but from some sort of pro-Juventus perspective. Yeah, and then the four-year plan, I, I, I chuckled at that one, only because I know that's, that, that's you've seen it so many times, I mean, ten, 10 or more times. But for listeners who, who are not familiar with it, it's highly recommended. It's called the four-year plan. Um, I just checked just a second ago, so it's not available to stream, but you can you can buy it or rent it through Apple TV. I think Amazon's got it, Google Play has it, YouTube has it. 
but uh, it's highly recommended. It's really a fly-on-the-wall documentary when QPR was in the championship, spending all this money, trying to get into the Premier League, and um, and then everything that happened behind the scenes in terms of the managers. And uh, that one seems to be, for the most part, Kartik, not that censored. It seems to be more kind of this is what happened uh, without too much influence as far as people saying, hey, you can't include that. Yeah, in fact, I think there was kind of a narrative that the club was chaotic, right? That they, they try and push through the first half of the documentary and that, hey, even though uh, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, focused on the owners and the director of football, hey, they're a bit crazy and the managers, there are all these disagreements with managers. I think for, for whatever reason, you know, QPR, the club, allowed that to be uh, a narrative of the picture, uh, which, is, uh, which is interesting. And then, of course... Um, you see manager managers get sacked. You see uh, front, you know, front and center. Really, I think the, the, the funny, the funniest part, not the funniest part, but the most interesting part from an ironic standpoint is uh, is the sacking of Paulo Sousa, right? Who, uh, who who said that they had loaned the player Dexter Blackstock to Nottingham Forest while he was on holiday, and had, and he had not talked about it. And there was some disagreement with the ownership. They sack him. Then they eventually sack him, saying he had divulged confidential information to the media so uh that's all very kind of interesting so they show all of that and they show it kind of from from both perspectives and and the difficulty that uh even the uh the press people have in in, in, in uh, the press people in uh the club the, the comms uh, staff have dealing with it and then also uh press conferences etc it's really well done it's really tight uh in terms of how uh they present it and they show fans protesting against uh, the ownership, mm-hmm. which uh, is another thing you don't get in a lot of these documentaries. So I think maybe that's why I have such a soft spot for it, Chris, is it's, I think it's more honest than most club documentaries. Yeah, and it, uh, and it stands the test of time, right? I mean, you can watch it today, and it can be just, just as uh, rewarding as it would have been, um, what, almost 10 years ago. It, it, it's, it's been around for quite a while, but highly recommended, uh, the four-year plan. Uh, for me... Of course, I've been watching tons of soccer from this past week. Uh, the one thing that stood out for me is not soccer related, but it's called um, it's a new series on HBO Max. It's called The Landscapers, and it comes out every Monday at nine PM. It's a, a true crime drama, and uh, actually based on on, on, a, on a on a true story uh, starring Olivia Coleman. But uh, very English. <laughs> it, it's it's strange, a strange story, um, but. If you watch it, you'll you'll find out why it is very English. Because even even the, the the murderers and the police officers, everyone is very um, kind of you know not uptight, but very English, very 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 formal. Uh, highly, highly recommended there so far. From this past weekend, it's interesting too. Kartik, we won't go into a lot of detail about this, but uh, it was just a shame with the De Classica. Two reasons: one on the on the pitch, as far as the uh, the Mats Hummels uh, handball decision that led to the penalty that ultimately uh, gave Bayern the victory in this one. Of course, they had to convert the penalty, um, but the technical problems and I mean the audio didn't sound the great. I mean Derek's. I think Derek was at the stadium. Uh, his volume was very high, and then Lutz uh, uh his audio sounded very low. And I'm guessing that Lutz was probably in the U.S. Uh, commentating the game, or co-commentating the game from a studio. 
And then pre-match, there were technical problems. The pre-game was supposed to start, I think, a half an hour before the show started, uh, before the game started. It didn't start until 15 minutes before, so everything was kind of rushed. Um, so it ended up being not much of a pre-game. The game itself was great. And, and, and uh, despite my kind of uh, predictions last last week, thinking that it'd be 5-0 to Bayern by halftime, it was much closer, this game. And I, I know this one depressed you, Kartik, but, but in terms of the technical issues, did, did that bother you at all? Yeah, it did. And, and uh, I think that there was just, uh, there, there was something, there was some sort of weird feel from the match. Because, yeah, the, the levels weren't uh, level between the two commentators, Derek Ray and, 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 and his co-commentator. And then as well, I think that there were some other technical issues even in... in um, which is very uncharacteristic of the Bundesliga, by the way, in, in, in kind of the frames and how they switched the frames early in the match. After that, it became very, uh, um, very, uh, it became more routine. Well, I do think that there was one one of the injuries they didn't want to show a replay of. I can't remember Leon Brandt's injury or if it was uh, a, an injury later in the match. And then obviously there was all of this uh, uh, controversy yeah, in the second half of the of the match, um, which uh, I, I guess overshadows it all, right? I mean, it's been uh, the, the the fallout from the match has been pretty incredible. Uh, and what I had not realized, Chris, was before the match, Erling Holland had actually uh, Holland had actually tweeted his uh, disapproval of the ref assignment. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. Interesting. Friday. Right. Uh, so that just caused. So you could think maybe. Uh, Dortmund had this in, 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 the, in the back of their mind the whole time, but Ulyan Brandt gets that goal early. Uh, they, uh, Alan gets a goal. Uh, obviously, Marco Lois uh, gets taken down in the, uh, in the area, no call by Lucas Hernandez. So there was a, a lot to it. And then uh, Hummels gets the, uh, the, the handball call, and we know Jude Dellingham mouthed off after the match. So all of that, I think, overshadowed the actual broadcast itself. Yeah. But, um, no, the no, the game the game was good, and and actually in the first, uh, I think, couple of minutes on the pregame, uh, right before the game was getting ready to start, you could hear the the world feed audio in the background, and then Derek oh, Ray yeah, on top of I it. Before, yeah, sorry, Chris, I forgot. There was another time that there was an ESPN FC bleed, uh, ES, ESPN FC promo that bled into. Uh, into uh, Derek Ray's commentary. Yeah, it's unfortunate, right? Because it's the the biggest game of the season. I mean, the first half of the season. It's a uh, high expectations. There's been so much uh, focus and attention and time paid to La Liga in terms of, you mean, getting studio shows and a lot of coverage, a lot more love to La Liga, not so much to the Bundesliga this season. And the one big game that we have, it's on ESPN+. Plus. Great game, but just uh, some, some hiccups there. Hopefully ESPN will learn from that. Speaking of ESPN learning from that, Kartik, the other thing, too, that happened this past weekend, not, not a good weekend for the, the Disney uh, soccer family there. The big game for Major League Soccer was the Philadelphia Union against NYCFC. Uh, really good pre-match with John Champion and Taylor Twelman on the pitch. Uh, right in front of uh, the Sons of Ben's supporters and uh, some great camera angles, some really good pre-match uh, analysis. And I thought it was very serious, very committed, very researched, very well done. Great atmosphere. The weather looked fantastic. And then the game started. And and at times I was watching it. I was like, is that me or is it my TV? It looks kind of grainy in some of the shots. 
And then um, I think some of the, uh, was it Bubba Prague? I think one of the kind of uh, hardcore uh, people on Twitter that focuses on television coverage of soccer uh, tweeted out something saying like, hey, this is ridiculous. Like the, it, it seems to be that ABC making the decision or Disney making the decision to cut back and not spend as much money focused on um, having uh, actually kind of staff at the games to make sure that the the actual coverage, the actual quality of the, the camera co- coverage was uh, top notch. It seems to be the, the cutting corners, and, and this was one of the results of that. That uh, some of the shots in that game for a, I mean, Eastern Conference Final, it, it looked like there was an in SD, not not in HD. Did yeah, you notice? Uh, did you notice anything, Kartik? So, so sometimes, yeah. so, sometimes it's hard, right? Because you're so focused on the game. Sometimes that sometimes that the, the actual quality of the picture doesn't come in, into mind. Other times it does. Yeah, I, I, there was something funny. Yeah, I, I, I guess I hadn't picked up on it being SD. I thought there was something funny with, uh, with, 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 with the kind of why. Yeah, I guess it would be the main camera, right? Uh, angles at points in that match. Um, I, I thought um, that, that 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 there were some there were some issues with the camera work also when they switched frames. Uh, Champion and, and Twelman were good. I liked their stand-ups actually before the match, yep. um, which were which were fantastic. They, we got two of those, right? Because uh, this was an ABC game, so there was a commercial break, and then they came back with another stand-up as the players came out. Uh, that was fabulous. I, I'll admit, and I guess people who follow me on Twitter saw that I had a bit of a meltdown after this match. I was very disappointed in the result. I was disappointed the game was played when it was played, and that Philly, who I think have had an extraordinary season. Jim Curtin has done such a good job drilling that side into playing a certain type of football. And it's a type of football that's dependent on their two center backs and their goalkeeper, Andre Blake. Now, the backup goalkeeper had a phenomenal match, right? But um, you had two new center backs and you had a new keeper, which really limited how they could play going forward. And then you had important pieces that were out going forward. Let's not forget that. But I, I... I just felt like the match shouldn't have been played and it just continued the theme of the MLS playoffs, which are uh, teams that are uh, that, that in these one-off games, the, the better teams aren't, uh, are often not advancing. Yeah. It's, it, it just seems that uh, MLS has a hard job uh, getting over the hump. And, and what, what I mean by that though, too, is that they have a lot of national uh, television exposure and for a whole host of different reasons, I mean, yeah, this one was COVID-related. Several players, I mean, almost almost the entire team for Philadelphia, all the, the key starters, uh, a majority of the key starters missing from this game. So the game ended up being not that attractive to watch. It was very non-technical. It was a pretty, pretty kind of... Um, uh, kind of uh, two sides. I mean, NYCFC wasn't the most attractive team uh, either, even though they had their full squad. So not not a great watch in terms of uh, entertainment levels. Now, if you're a Philly Union fan or a NYCFC fan, you're I mean you're really you mean you're probably more excited than than the neutral. And it just seems that I don't know. It just seems that with MLS, I mean, with the playoffs. There haven't been that many exciting games. It's been very close, almost like cup finals, where it's, you mean, the playoffs almost become like a cup final, where, especially when there's the one leg, where there's so much on the line, 
teams sit back and you don't see that creative play. You don't see that creativity that's going to blow that match wide open. And sometimes with creativity comes risk and rewards. And, and there's risks with that. You, you do something amazing, you mean dribbling past two or three players, that creates kind of an opening in the back. So if you do get hit on the counter, you mean that could be uh, counterproductive and that the other team could score. And it, and it just seems that being, when MLS has the opportunity uh, to just wow us, it, it never seems to happen. And, and we had the game the following day, which was the, um, the Arsenal-Everton game. And that game, second half especially, but first half was, it was pretty eventful in terms of some of the things that were happening, the disallowed uh, uh, goal for offside. But that one game, that, that, I mean, that 90 minutes of that one game was, was far better than, than the Eastern Conference final. Um, and the Damari Gray goal was fantastic. The goal call was brilliant. I mean, that one moment of magic was, was incredible. So it, it, it's just really frustrating at times because oftentimes I'm 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 watching MLS. I'm trying to f- see the love of it and trying to get, really get into it, and it just seems to be that I mean I just cannot find. I, I, it's hard to fall in love with it. W- what about you, Kartik? Yeah, in fairness, that game I think that Everton match was a critical, critical match. There was a lot of tension. Marcel Brands had been. I guess he wasn't sacked. I guess he technically resigned, but there had been major uh, turmoil at Everton uh, before that match. There were, in the 24 hours preceding that match, there was a lot of rumors that there would be a fan protest, some sort of supporter boycott or walkout or some sort of a demonstration. Then uh, there were two, I think what I would consider perfectly good goals in, in the normal world, this pre-VAR, uh, pre-VAR when football was football before this, this nonsense started uh, that were chalked off, uh, which then raised kind of attention in the, in, in the ground and, and Arsenal had gotten a goal. So they were down one nil. So I think it was a unique circumstance, that match. I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare an MLS match to that match. You could take another random match in Europe and say, Hey, the MLS match was actually better because the atmosphere in mm-hmm. Philadelphia was nice and kind of cold. Sons of Ben were out, uh, was, was better. Now, was the football better? No, but I think the football being bad was a byproduct. Again, I would argue uh, Philadelphia is probably at this point the best team to watch in MLS from a purely aesthetic standpoint. Now, obviously, New England uh, uh, had this, this record-breaking, record-shattering regular season, but I would actually say if, if you were someone who watches European football, the side that you would most, you would most recognize in terms of tactics is Jim Curtin's Philly Union, and they couldn't play. Fo- they couldn't play with uh, six uh, regular starters out and 11, 12 guys total out. So, yeah. so, but that is on MLS. I mean, I'm not trying to excuse it, saying what I'm saying is you can't judge MLS quality based on that match, but I also have to say MLS is to blame for forcing that match to be played when it was played just so they could keep the game on ABC. And by the way, the television audience, uh, as we'll probably get to later <laughs> on the podcast, probably does not justify them not moving the match. Yeah, and and I'm not uh, kind of judging MLS on that one game. It, it's just more so. Well, years of watching it, but this particular season, this 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 year, more than ever, I probably watch more MLS games, and I keep on trying to find that that magic. Trying to find there, there are moments. You I mean it's some incredible goals here and there, but a lot of the games, it, it's a tough watch because it, it is a lot more physical than other leagues. Um, it's probably more comparable to South America, some of the South American games where stop, start, stop, start, some really 
sometimes really physical fouls and not even a yellow card and and it, it disrupts the flow of the game because then players know that they can get get away with being more physical and not getting carded there's not that risk uh, there's less of a risk and it makes for a very i don't know not a good fluid game it just and again that that's based on you mean this season watching a lot of the playoff games watching a lot of the season just looking for that love looking for that magic and i just oftentimes when i'm watching it i'm just not seeing it except for moments i have to do with mia culpa because a couple of years ago when they changed the format i came on this podcast saying it was great this was going to uh this was going to really make uh the the mls playoffs uh feel better uh feel more 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 meaningful it was going to make the regular season more meaningful it hasn't done that at all in fact what it's done is it's encouraged uh uh it's encouraged uh teams to park the bus it's encouraged teams that are uh the uh, uh the, the lower seed to play for penalties right because you don't you don't right. have to, you don't have to see out 180 minutes or 210 minutes now against uh a, a better side you just have to see out 120 minutes uh it's 90 less minutes so it, it, it's ended up complicating things further i mean i think that the solution to this is mls to uh I know purists like to say, oh, well, there should be no playoffs. I don't believe that. I think that um, unless you have a balanced schedule, which I think is impossible in a country as big as the United States, by the way, I think the idea, I wouldn't even have two conferences. I would have like four or six conferences. But what I would do is have those six conferences, uh, and then the six winners are in the playoffs. And it's as simple as that. Uh, or, or four, let's say you split it four ways, and you have four winners are in the playoffs and maybe two wild cards. That's it. You don't need... I don't even know how many teams are in the playoffs now. I guess it's 14, and, and I'm guessing that number will go up soon. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, we'll, we'll get to, into that a little bit more in the next segment. But before we get to that, Kartik, um, and some definitely some great points there, um, let's talk about our matches to watch this weekend. Uh, for me, it's uh, Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid on Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern on uh, ESPN+. Uh, this one's interesting to me just because Real Madrid, 10 points ahead of Atleti. So 10 points uh, separates the, these two sides. Uh, so win for Atleti will close the gap to seven points within distance, within shouting distance of perhaps uh, maybe a, a slim chance, but a chance uh, for Atleti to, to make make a title run. However, though, at the same time, Real Madrid, if they win this game, um, I think they'll go about, I think, I think 12 or 13 points ahead of second place Sevilla. So that opens up a huge gap. And just Real Madrid seem to be unstoppable at this point. But Atleti, maybe with that uh, midweek uh, win in the Champions League against FC Porto, which was a, a really good game to watch, uh, maybe that gives them the confidence to go into this game and, and, and to play their usual style uh, and to play, you mean, the way that they play. Uh, using the dark arts, but maybe trying to figure out a way to uh, even a draw in this in this, in this match, I think would be huge for them. Yeah, but I, they, they, they've been terrible this season. Uh, really disappointing. I thought uh, them seeing out the title where they almost blew it last year. Let's keep in mind they had a huge gap and basically just hung on on the last day, right? I, I really thought, Chris, that they would push on this season, and they haven't. They haven't looked good in Europe. They haven't looked. They have looked even worse domestically. Uh, I, I don't know. I think Real Madrid can take this, and, and, and it's uh, 
uh, they'll open up uh, whatever gap. I mean, I actually think Sevilla is the, the only team that can probably push them. And I know Lopetegui was really disappointed the, the match a few weeks ago. Sevilla, I agree, were on the front foot for much of that match, but uh, they were unable to, to see it out. And uh, yeah, I think the La Liga title race is pretty much over. Honestly. Wow. Uh, we're only in early December. What, what about uh, what about your uh, pick for this weekend? Yeah, I've got I've got a, a different uh, type of pick. I've got Lille and Lyon, which is the early match on VN uh, on Sunday morning. So these two clubs have vastly underachieved. Right? They both chased the title last season. Uh, Lyon was leading the league for for much of the season. Lille uh, Lille had been leading earlier in the season. Right. Uh, eventually, because of Monaco's run under Niko Kovac, Leon dropped to fourth, uh, but it was really tight at the end, right? Uh, all, all, all four clubs, Lille won the league. Uh, let's not forget that, right? They, they uh, bested PSG on the final day and, and won the league. This season, Lille seems to be the, the European commitments, and they won what I would say was probably the toughest group if you go top to bottom, all four clubs in, in the Champions League. But um, that has, um, I think, taken away from their, uh, their performance in the domestic league, sort of like uh, what happened to Leicester the year they were in the Champions League, having won in the, uh, the Premier League. They focused on Champions League. They won their group. And uh, similar, Lille won a very difficult group. I'm really surprised. I think it's very impressive. Also very impressive for Liga 1 that they won that group. But they're sitting 12th in the table. Leon is sitting 11th, or maybe it's reversed. But Leon has not played well all season. I think this is like a must-win for both teams. So that's why I picked it. And two teams that have a lot of good players. Uh, although, again, both teams have lost guys. I think Samari was particularly key for Will last season. He's with Western now. Uh, Memphis, obviously, a top, top player, right, uh, from Leon to, to, to Barcelona. So, so the big game this weekend, though, uh, domestically, of course, Kartik is the MLS Cup final between um, Portland and NYCFC. Do you think this is kind of a dead certain that, um, I mean, Gio Savarese will do it again and, and, and win another MLS Cup w- with Portland? And, and at the same time, do you think in some ways that um, Savarese, who, who's done really, really well, but oftentimes he doesn't get the, the limelight or the exposure as much as you would think. And, and maybe is that partly because of him being a former coach in NASL and not being American? Do you think that has a, a, an influence? Oh, he's basically American. I mean, he's been here, he's been here for uh, 25, 30 years, uh, more, uh, about 30 years. Yeah, I, I look, I, I may be biased towards him because, of course, I dealt with him in NASL. Uh, he was the, I was the PR director of the league when he came into, the, uh, when he came into our league. I then uh, worked for uh, multiple teams that he, his teams beat in key games, to be in, in one-off matches. Uh, he's brilliant. He, he, he's a guy. And I, I remember actually having a conversation with Gio um, after one of the, the Strikers Cosmos matches outside the dressing room where we're just talking about how uh, tactically he has a style and he has drills he uses in, 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 in training, but he's also very pragmatic for the one-off game. That's very kind of old Mourinho-like, right, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, get, um, uh, match planning for a specific opponent. And, and implementing maybe certain changes in training during the week because of who you're playing. So that gives him a one an advantage in any one-off match. It's not surprising to me he leaves NASL after winning everything every season, basically, except for one, uh, that he was in the league, and then uh, coming to MLS and immediately 
being in the same position where if there is an important one-off match, he tends to win it. Uh, the exception being obviously the time they lost to Atlanta uh, in the MLS Cup final, but there was a huge gap between those two teams in terms of talent, and uh, Gio had gotten them there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the world of him. I think he's, uh, I would argue he's one of the, uh, in terms of just like, uh, if you want a, ma- a, a manager for an individual match, I would put him third on a list. Uh, Siggy Schmidt's no longer with us, so uh, obviously he's not on the list. I should add uh, that. But, uh, I would put him behind right What? No, I was just going to say I should add that actually uh, Gio Savarese became a U.S. citizen two years ago. But but the other oh, thing, yeah, yeah. but the, but the other thing with this though too is that I, I can see Portland. You mean get one goal and that's that's going going to that's be enough yeah, to win it, definitely. right? Um, so uh, I put him right behind Bruce Marina and Rob Bradley on any list of top managers uh, in, in terms of one-off games. Now I've already mentioned I like Jim Curtin stylistically better than any one-off manager. Uh, Jim Curtin being the manager. At, um, at Philly Union, and, and there's some other managers I would have put on. I would have put Chris Armas on that list, who's now going to Manchester United to uh, uh, assist Ralph Raniak uh, over there. Uh, he was not a particularly successful MLS manager, but I like the style of play better than I like Geo's style of play, from, just aesthetically. But yeah, he's on any list I would put in one-off matches, and I, I saw it even uh, the, the matches against the Strikers in Miami FC, and we, we had some good managers, right? Uh, Winter Kronsteiner, who uh, was the strikers manager uh, Alessandro Nesta? I don't think he needs any introduction mm-hmm. to uh, the audience. Was Miami FC's manager, and Gio would out outbox them in one-off matches. I mean, there was a match under Nesta where we had like a two-goal lead, and, and and so you know the two things about Gio, he can sit on a one-one-nil lead. He also can can uh, change tactics on the fly to get uh, to to rescue you know, the match against Nesta, where a two-goal lead for for Miami. Became 3-2 Cosmos in a match uh, against Fort Lauderdale where Kronsteiner had a 3-0 lead on the Cosmos, became 3-3. So it almost was 4-3 Cosmos. So he's just brilliant from just making adjustments in match, either to sit on a match or to rescue a match. So even if uh, NYFC goes up 1 or 2-0, I could see Portland getting it back to 2-2, going to extra time and winning 3-2. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a great final. I mean, I mean, what I'm dreading is is, is a one one nil Portland win. You mean they score a goal in the 65th minute, and all of a sudden, you mean players on the pitch they know they know what what it means. Uh, they're they're so close to to, to getting that title again, uh, that cup trophy. Let's, let's move on, Kartik, to TV streaming news, and, and I'll have you kick it off uh, in regards to uh, some words that came out uh, this week from the the state of the league uh, address. Yeah, uh, both you and I were on this call uh, the other day, and MLS Commissioner Don Garber says that he expects the next MLS TV deal to be wrapped up and announced in Q1 2022. Regarding Leagues Cup, Garber calls it March Madness meets the World Cup. Also, Garber said our package will have every game, including our local games, in the package, which is significant. Also, MLS Next Pro, the new Division Three league that's been announced, uh, and MLS. Uh, MLS Next will be part of the package. And by the way, for those who missed the announcement, uh, Jamie Vardy's team in Rochester will be joining MLS Next Pro. So they will have an independent club, uh, which I've already been asked the question, is that a single entity league? I don't know, if I'm honest with you, with an independent club coming in. So, uh, but yeah, they'll all be part of the TV deal. And I think the other thing that's pretty significant about this is the local games being part of the package makes this very attractive for streaming uh, for, for, for as a streaming property, it allows MLS 
to really, I think, they're doing things that, um, this is why it's going to be very difficult to compare apples uh, apples to oranges, right? If, if, if they're going to put out that they uh, had that much more from this TV deal, right? But they lose the U.S. piece, and they're adding two other leagues, which credit to MLS for, for doing that. Uh, I, I'm for any, I'm for more opportunities for our guys. I'm for more leagues. I'm for more teams, right? I'm, I'm, I not, I don't have the usual aversion for reserve teams that some people seem to have. So I'm all for that. Um, but also adding the local component, Chris, to the national package drives up the price. So I don't think it's fair really to look at what they got in the last uh, right cycle and then compare it to this one. But uh, if you want to look at it from just a tactical standpoint, really smart from Garver and MLS to do this, uh, adding value to the package. It's something pretty unique for U.S. leagues because um, the U.S. Uh, as, well, again, MLS is a single entity league, so they can do it, right? Uh, Franchise-based league, it's a little tough to bring those rights back in-house to, to the to the league. So uh, NFL does it, right? NFL, there are no local TV rights, but uh, everything is, is done through the league. But in Major League Baseball, I can imagine the outcry if you took those games away from the regional sports networks and put them on, uh, uh, put them in some single uh, baseball package. So uh, I, I think it's a smart move. Yeah, so I, so I think Major League Soccer is making all the smart moves in terms of bringing everything in, in terms of uh, all these contracts um, and having one package or actually maybe several packages, but having the packages available where it'll include local games, it'll include streaming, it'll include I mean, national broadcasts and then figuring out a way to, to actually sell that. That's the issue, though. That's the issue I have is that, yes, they're going about it in a smart way. They're being very modern. Uh, very streaming friendly. I mean, a lot of these games will be on streaming, I'm sure. But what I'm not sure about is the the actual, uh, basically, kind of the demand for this. So uh, ESPN going into this, knowing that US rights are not available. Fox going into this, knowing that US rights are not available, uh, et cetera, et cetera. US rights are a big part of, or was, were a big part of uh, MLS TV deals. That was the only way you could get into getting uh, coverage of, of home games for the, the women and the, and the US men was by uh, buying the rights to MLS. So with the increasing popularity of the men's team after kind of uh, coming off a really low kind of a low bottom in the last couple of years after miss, missing the World Cup and, and some, some kind of questions about uh, coaching and questions about uh, talent level, they're coming back and, and the U.S. women team even still strong uh, and a lot of uh, hopes for the future for them too. That's, that's the only part of it that I'm concerned about. And, and I think it's at the end of the day, I mean, if it's Discovery, Warner Media, or if it's you mean, uh, ESPN, or maybe DAZN, or maybe some of these other streaming services that might come into this and say, hey, uh, we want to put these games on HBO Max, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's, that's the big question is, is like, how much are they willing to spend? Because right now, they're not going to generate massive TV ratings, they're not going to generate massive streaming numbers. Um, they will grow. But um, and and then hoping then with the Leagues Cup in 2023, the expanded tournament, and then of course with the the World Cup buzz in 2026, as well as coming off the the 2022 World Cup and maybe some buzz from that. Um, the hope is is that there'll be an increase in uh, appetite amongst Americans for soccer, 
that's the only concern I have. And and speaking of uh, TV ratings, Cardiac, uh after the positive 1.89 million viewers for Colorado Rapids against um, the Timbers on Thanksgiving Day, last week weekend's top viewing number for a MLS playoff game was uh, 398,000 people for that uh, Philly against NYCFC game on ABC, which is a decent number. It's not 1.8 million. Um, in comparison, Aston Villa against Leicester had more viewers, 409,000 viewers on that one. And that was on, on a cable channel, not over the air. So MLS still has a long way to go, uh, even, for, even for these big games, even the, for the big games that are on ABC, which gives them more exposure, more reach, more opportunities. But they're not delivering yet on that level. And that's the concern we are where we're at today. And then MLS right now, I think probably they're... Um, their sales and executives are really trying to sell this league about growth potential. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. First up, uh, talking about the MLS TV deal, Chris says, when it comes to the next MLS TV deal, I think that Warner Media will definitely get a portion of the rights, mainly because of their ability to put games on both linear TV, TBS, TNT, and streaming, uh, HBO Max. In addition to the integration of the Discovery Networks, it gives uh, Warner Media a chance to use MLS as a way to add sports content to both Discovery Plus and the linear Discovery Channel. The League's Cup is a particular uh, selling point for Warner Media with MLS because TNT and TBS have little in the way of sports content during the time the tournament is taking place, apart from AEW Wrestling and Sunday Major League Baseball games. I hope they get the Fox portion of the contract because Fox, in my view, is only interested in MLS due to the promotional opportunities associated with the 2026 World Cup. Do you think, Kartik, do you think there'll be any reservations? I mean, I mean, good feedback there by Chris, but do you think there's going to be any reservations with doing a deal with Warner um, just after what happens with the whole Turner, UEFA and uh, Turner going ahead and just... Uh, quitting the the, the contract uh, kind of uh, during that mid process. I mean, early a couple of years early. No, because as you and I both know, and, and uh, the executives in MLS know even better, there have been uh, changes inside of Warner Media in terms of sports uh, uh, personnel uh, that are running it and streaming, and then you have the potential discovery uh, merger coming uh, if that gets regulatory uh, approval in the next year, which will then bring in uh, another component of people. And, and on the discovery side, as we've talked about, there's a, a lot of expertise in soccer, even though uh, U.S. viewers may not know this, the, the, because discovery has not shown any soccer in this country. Uh, discovery has a, a long history of showing uh, uh, the sport in Europe on its European platform. So that, I think, would, would, would uh, ease the concerns. Uh, that having been said, the, the Champions League thing still looms large, right, in the minds of a lot of the public. So that's something that uh, MLS is going to have to, if they make a deal with Warner Media, which I think Warner Media, I agree uh, with Chris. I think that, that, that there's a very good chance they get uh, a part of this package, uh, this next set of uh, MLS rights. They're going to have to come out of the box and explain that to soccer fans and explain how why this is going to be different. Yeah, the other concern with this too is that streaming fatigue. So, if those games, if some of those games are on HBO Max, I'm happy about that. If some of those games are on Discovery Plus, I'm like, okay, all right, that's another new streaming service. I don't know, probably like six bucks a month, I'm guessing, roughly. Um, 
and that and that that's partly a concern too. So hopefully, I don't know. It's it it is it is risky. I mean, it's one of those things. If you're on ESPN Plus, if you have your games on ESPN Plus or Paramount Plus, chances are that will include most of your soccer universe in the United States. But when you go outside of that, there there is a risk with that, and um, and who knows too as far as the deal, the the, the proposed merger between Warner Media and Discovery whether or not that'll be approved by the time that this deal is done because Garb is saying first quarter of uh, 2022 is is the plan to to get it uh I mean done and announced um and if they don't have the approval at that stage then it's it's likely to be Warner Media um with HBO Max and also Bleacher Report they own Bleacher Report too they could be putting games on Bleacher Report also that's a possibility uh, and we've got a lot of um, kind of bad nightmares about Bleacher Report and streaming soccer. So th- th- there are there are lo- lots of risks with this. So um, I was going to say I was, I'm confident that they'll make the right decision. But they, just as the Premier League needed the money badly uh, to keep these top European clubs, uh, I mean, the top English clubs, uh, satisfied, um, it's the same thing with MLS too. MLS needs this kind of cash infusion in terms of from this TV deal because this is going to be for the next six years this is going to be probably for their biggest span the most uh, popular span most successful span uh, the perfect timing with, with the World Cup in 2026 and playing off that they have to get a big deal so, so sometimes they might have to make decisions where it's a better decision financially and it may not be the best decision as far as the streaming options or the streaming partners. I mean, we've seen in the past, too, MLS clubs have done deals with Flow Sports you know, and, uh, and I think YouTube TV and local markets. And, and I, think, I think most of those deals, if not all those deals, are, are, are done now. And they didn't even yeah, finish their, their, the contracts. Yeah, they're all done. And, and they'll all be gone after 2022, which is uh, anything that might be left. We actually saw a local team, uh, a team do a local deal with ESPN Plus also which was kind of odd when Chicago right. did it a few years ago. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree on that. And I think that the Premier League, it's still, uh, it still remains to be seen how the Premier League is presented on NBC the next couple of years. I, um, I know there are external factors. I, a lot of you have pointed it out to me on Twitter uh, for why this has happened, but I can't help but notice Formula One, which was a niche of niche sports in this country. Trust me, I, 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 I had some experiences of, Formula One fan way back when it was even much more niche than soccer uh, going from being, you know, a niche that was just an annoyance really on NBC SN and would, they would preempt Premier League games because of and move them to CNBC or USA or whatever, because of uh, contractual obligations, but they weren't getting the numbers Premier League games were. Uh, they've gone to ESPN and it's gone through the roof. So I, I know again, there are external factors that some of you have mentioned to me, but the Premier League, We'll see the next six years if the if the cost of not being on ESPN uh, is uh, is greater than uh, maybe we're thinking at this point. And it might be the same thing with MLS if they take more money from other partners and they're off of ESPN somehow because there is a promotional uh, capability that ESPN has that no one else has. And also, Chris, I think, uh, as, as we know, as we've talked about on this show, in the streaming space, Disney is far ahead of everyone else in terms right. of. Uh, getting subscribers now that situation could be very different three or four years from now the warner uh properties if, if they integrate discovery plus and hbo max might be as mainstream as disney plus maybe peacock and, and paramount plus 
or as mainstream as Disney Plus and Hulu and, and ESPN Plus in a few years. But right now, they're not. So, yeah, That's the bottom line. Yeah, so, so, so two things with that, uh, and one of them, so, so I don't forget, because I mentioned it in the opening of the show, and I, I want to make sure I address it. But it, it comes down to kind of a battle between the uh, ESPN marketing machine versus NBC marketing machine. And both of them are very effective. I mean, both in terms of everything that they do. So you look at ESPN and you look at uh, Formula One, as, as, as your example. They've done a fantastic job of marketing F- F1, having the races on you mean, ESPN2, et cetera, and then having some of the you mean, practice laps and other coverage on, on ESPN Plus and, and everything that they do beyond that. Same thing with NBC and uh, the Premier League and, and everything that they've done in, in terms of even tying in with uh, you mean other properties that the NFL at uh, the NBC has, such as the Olympics and uh, NFL games, and having you mean having those uh, products in quotation marks uh, promote the Premier League and talk about the coverage coming up and, and vice versa, and so on and so forth. However, <laughs> at the at the end of the day, and I mentioned this in the beginning of the uh, the podcast in the, in the opening. Uh, as far as we talked about technical issues with De Classica, with ESPN Plus, we talked about uh, technical issues with ABC and uh, the MLS uh, Eastern Conference Final. No one's perfect by any means. And we saw that this week, too, with Paramount Plus and the Champions League. And yes, there was an outage with the uh, Amazon Web Services that impacted uh, a lot of people on the East Coast including Paramount Plus, as well as a lot of other services. I think there was even Disney Plus was was down or were having issues for a while. But outside of that, there were still mistakes. There were still on Tuesday's games, I think, instead of showing, um, I think it was the actually Atleti against um, Porto game, which is the, the most important game that day, the biggest game. Um, they had a different feed on there. They had the Shakhtar feed on there. So about 10 minutes into the game, they, they must have noticed and fixed it and changed it. Um, and, and then this is not the first time by any means that we've had issues with Paramount+. Plus. I mean, it seems to be now every Champions League day, there's something that goes wrong um, and they don't have the attention to, to, to uh, detail. But however, I mean, we've had problems with Peacock. We've had problems with ESPN+. Plus, we've had problems with all of them. The marketing machine from CBS, I'm not won over by yet, Kartik. What, what about you? You've, you, you watch a lot of other sports other than soccer and probably have seen CBS far more than I have. I've just watched it from the soccer perspective. But does CBS have a good marketing machine? And, and how does that compare with uh, Disney slash ESPN and NBC? Yeah, I've just kind of gotten back into watching college basketball in the last couple of weeks. And college football... Um, kind of have a passing interest in, but don't, I don't think I watch enough to really, uh, to, to really judge. I can t- say on the golf side, I think CBS markets golf exceedingly well. Although um, maybe in recent years, NBC has done a better job of marketing golf than, than uh, CBS. Uh, CBS traditionally, I think always had better golf coverage and uh, better golf promotion until the Comcast merger uh, with NBC and then Golf Channel came with that, and then all those synergies uh, happened, and, and that, that that catapulted NBC above them. But uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, CBS. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I watch on CBS other than soccer that would give me an indication other than golf. Uh, college basketball, as I said, I'm beginning to watch again, uh, and so maybe I'll have a bigger. Uh, I, 
I've not watched the last few years because I was really jaded by the shoe scandal, by the way, if people want to know why I'm now waiting back in. Uh, so we're, we're basically the last three seasons I haven't watched because of the scandal and I was turned off for, for ethical reasons. Now, uh, that's enough time has passed since that. I'm, I'm getting back into it. Uh, so I might be able to give a better uh, judgment on this because obviously CBS is the leading network for college basketball also, along with, uh, uh, along with ESPN uh, in, in a couple months after the season. It's interesting because if, if we go back in the time machine a little bit and go back to, say, 15 years ago, 2006, and if we had to pinpoint what was the ma- most important factor in growing the audience of Premier League fans in the United States, what was the, the one show that had the most impact? Because it, it not only did it inform, it gave you kind of a, it educated you, but for somebody, whether they were a new fan uh, or, or a veteran fan, it was the show that everyone watched because you couldn't watch everything. You, you watched this one show. Do you remember what that show was, Kartik? It's probably the Lionel Bienvenue show uh, on Fox Sports well, World. Although, uh, similar. Sim, sim, so, yeah, so you, you're going even further back in the time machine. But what, similar idea, right? But it was the Premier League um, review show. And that yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. A, like a one-hour show. You could watch a one-hour show on, on Sunday night on Fox Soccer Channel. And that had all the highlights, all the goals for everything that happened that weekend. It was perfect. I mean, even if you didn't watch all the games, even if, if you didn't have the time or you just wanted to watch it again, that show developed more Premier League fans in this country, I think, from the beginning, from I mean, personal experience, but also talking to soccer fans, running World Soccer Talk for the last 15 years um, that, that, than anything. And I would say with F1, one of the reasons why ESPN has had so much so much success with F1 is not only because of the ESPN marketing machine, but it's also the F1 documentary series that's on Netflix. And that's been extremely popular. And I, I know a lot of people have watched that. They've never really understood or ne- never really watched F1, F1. And they watch that and they're sold. They're like, wow, I want to watch a race. I'm going to watch a race this weekend, see what it's all about. And once you're in... I mean, same thing with the Premier League uh, review show. Once you're in, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is a whole different world. I would argue, however, Kartik, with soccer documentaries can have that effect. Sunderland Till uh, Till I Die, Ted Lasso, it's not a documentary, but a show, but can have that effect. I would argue, however, Kartik, right now, I think there's a glut of soccer documentaries. There's too many. And... um, not all of them are great. I mean, there's kind of a mixed bag. You have to really kind of hunt and peck and find. Uh, and the All or Nothing series, it seems to be like everyone's doing it. And some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. But there's almost too much of that in a, in a, in a way. We'd rather have, I think, better ones than, than um, ones that are very censored by, so, by clubs. So look for the potential next year of Ted Lasso because they now do have a marketing tie-up with the Premier League. Uh, if that maybe begins to move numbers. Uh, I think so. Be, I, if, be, if, yeah, if they I do, if they go about it in a well smart well. way with, with Jason Sudeikis, if they're able to say like, hey, can we work together here? Like we were giving you access uh, to the Premier League and, and having a lot of things that are going to be more featured in Ted Lasso season three that are going to be tied in with the Premier League. Um, but can, can we work together to, to grow Ted Lasso, but also to grow the Premier League? Um, and, and, and there's ways, there's ways to do it to make it more, you mean, for soccer moms or, or just mainstream America watching Ted Lasso and, and learning more about the Premier League uh, and the teams 
uh, through that show in small ways, which would have big impacts. All right, let me move on. We've got some great uh, additional uh, listener mailbag. Uh, Chris right there kind of gave us a good 10 minutes of discussion. Soccer Heretic says, catching up on the World Soccer Talk podcast. And And I think Kartik is right about MLS media rights, but we've discussed this at length. There is no way the ESPN and Disney brass can be happy with MLS ratings when multiple tier three college sports are surpassing it in viewers rapidly. And if you want to kind of get a good thread on that, if you check out uh, The Soccer Heretic on Twitter, there's a full long debate and discussion on that very topic. Uh, In terms of Champions League, Ted Hill says, I hate to be blunt, but how is it that Tony Jones keeps getting commentating jobs on important matches? He was on the call for Wolfsburg against Lille, a vital match in the most unpredictable group, and had no energy and could not convey any of the drama or the excitement of the match. Contrast that with others, including Guy Mowbray, who had the other uh, group game of Salzburg against Sevilla, and it's night and day. I'm honestly surprised and annoyed when I flip on a game and I hear him on the commentary. Not everyone has to be 100% on the volume or excitement levels, but his calls are very boring and non-interesting to me. (laughs) And I chuckle a little bit with that one too, because... um, that's his style. I mean, he, he, he's Welsh. I was born in Wales, grew up in Wales. I mean, lived in the United States now for, uh, you know, almost 40 years. And, um, but, I mean, still have a lot of family and, and relatives in Wales. But that's his style. He, he's an old school commentator. Um, he's giving it his energy levels that, that to him, that's normal. Um, but to Ted or, or others who are listening in and, and w- watching a game with his commentary, um, they might be might be turned off by it in terms of the lack of excitement or the lack of, you mean just the, those memorable goal calls. Personally, I, I like Tony Jones, and I, when I hear him doing a lot of games, there's a comfort level. Oftentimes, he's commentating Wales games, so uh, his comfort level in knowing that he knows the players, he knows the team, he knows the playing style, he knows what it means. And maybe Wolfsburg against Lille, with um, the UK in general being very myopic and very focused on the Premier League and the national teams, and very insular, uh, that maybe he didn't have the appreciation of a Wolfsburg and Lille game and what it meant to, to the rest of the world, perhaps. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. RJ Hawkins says, uh, as the group stages of the UEFA club competitions wrap up, I'd like to thank you guys, Kartik and Chris, for the continued coverage that you guys have given some of the successful but lesser known European clubs over the years. Your matches of the week are rarely just a Premier League big big six matchup or Real Madrid against Barcelona. I'm talking about the Lille's, uh, Atalanta's, Lyon's, Sevilla's, Napoli's, Sassoulo's and Borussia Mönchengladbach's. The Champions League is fun for the marquee matchups, but I find that my understanding of the European continent is greatly broadened by group stage game days in the Europa League and now the Conference League. Again, thanks for always keeping us in the know about the lesser known uh, teams in the big five leagues. As I take that knowledge into the Thursday matchups, not all podcasts give coverage to those clubs. So RJ, thank thank you for that. We really appreciate it. And it it, 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 it means a lot to us because that, that is certainly what Kartik and I 
I mean, we're looking we're looking for the that whether it's entertainment level or whether it's just that deep dive intelligent uh, way that the team is playing or whatever it may be. There's always kind of personal preferences, but uh, we appreciate that. And for me, yeah, yeah. And ironically, in the spaces I do on Sunday nights on uh, on Twitter, I had to address this past Sunday night why I why I watch Atalanta so much, right? Uh, some people want to know why why you're always uh, talking about Atalanta. And uh, so I address that, and it's exactly what you say, Chris. There's sometimes uh, when you dive deeper into other, and actually they've been very successful the last few years, also, right? They've finished in the top four now, three successive years in, in Italy. But just watching certain clubs, you fall in love with their style of play mm-hmm. and their current personnel and, and, and their management. So uh, appreciate it, RJ. We, we make an effort to, to, to go a little deeper than just Liverpool versus Man United or Barcelona versus Real Madrid every week. Yeah, and sometimes it is that David against Goliath. So it is, uh, I mean, we're kind of rooting for the underdogs, but there's oftentimes a lot of circumstances where those underdogs are in a situation when they don't have as much money as those big clubs, and but they're but they're beating them or they're at the level. Um, and that's always great to watch. And Europa League, to me, it is a fantastic competition. I just love watching that competition, especially with the Golasa show and being seeing a lot of these teams in action that we don't normally see that often. And you see the quality level, and you see the the passion among the supporters. You see what it means to them. Europa League used to be a joke. To me, it's it's one of the most exciting competitions on a club level. Uh, Greg says, and now this is in in regards to Kartik's discussion last week about uh, some of his thoughts about the MLS calendar or the U.S. soccer calendar. Greg says, good discussion. Kartik's idea about a September start and winter break is good for MLS. Now that most of now that most teams have their own stadiums, they aren't as totally beholden to stadium availability around the NFL. Also, I agree that while the League's Cup idea sounds interesting, the MLS suits might be overestimating how much it'll drive engagement back to the league. Might uh, inadvertently outshine the, regu- the league regular season. Right now, the MLS regular season feels almost pointless. Yes, it is four games fewer than Premier League teams play. But that season is a round robin, home and away. You get to know the teams. MLS is too big, too uh, diffuse. And uh, too many teams in the playoffs means the regular season is neutered in impact. Disco George says, I cannot disagree more about snow and winter weather being a big deal in MLS. Snow games are cute and fun when it's a one-off World Cup qualifier, playoff match or rivalry game. But it gets old really quickly on a regular basis. In reality, most of the matches that have been played in dumping snow and cold here, yes, even in November or March over the years, get maybe 2,000 or 3,000 people in in attendance. In my opinion, it would be a trade-off for the owners in states with cold winters to completely change the calendar. Yes, they might get better better TV ratings, but they also face some huge roadblocks with a potential loss of game day revenue. You'd be competing with indoor events like NBA, NHL, and winter college sports. And getting casuals and non-season ticket holders and groups out is a harder sell. Merchandise sales are probably going to be impacted. And more people are uh, going to be buying cheaper coffee and hot chocolate instead of $10 beers and pizza. I don't know what the perfect solution is, but having actually been at a lot of these games, it's not as cute as it looks on TV. 
So, Karthik, we, we saw that this week as far as on Wednesday, the uh, Atalanta-Villarreal game being postponed due to heavy snow. Um, but I was looking forward to watching that match, not from the not just the game itself, but because it was a, going, going to be a snow game. I'm like, oh, okay, great. We're going to get out the, the orange ball. We're going to actually, this is going to really change this game completely. It's a fun watch, watching it on television. Being at the stadium, I'm sure it would have been shivering, it had been freezing, it would have been horrible. I mean, it had been kind of uh, a little bit tough to get to the stadium and get home. But what, what for you, Kartik? I mean, I mean, that's MLS's question, right? Uh, I mean, ideally, they go for both. They go for both TV revenue and match day revenue. Um, but sometimes it's hard to have both. And if you had to pick one, do they go for the TV revenue or do they go for the, the match day revenue? I think you have to go for the TV revenue because what we've seen the model generally in sports is at this point, attendances are, have leveled off or are dropping. This is even before the pandemic. I mean, who knows post-pandemic once we're in a post-pandemic world, which by the way, we're not in currently. And I think soccer fans know that with what's going on at Spurs and Bayern, et cetera. Um, I think you have to, the, the limit on MLS, the artificial ceiling on MLS is their lack of television revenue, their lack of media revenue. Now, also, I have to mention that um, it, it is oppressive in the summer. So maybe, maybe when you're looking from a fan standpoint, because the games take place, kick off at 7.30, 8 p.m. local time, the sun is down or is going down, it gets cooler. But I will tell you, from someone who's worked in, in uh, multiple professional uh, soccer teams in this country in the southeast, that um, training in the summer is impossible. You can't train at 9 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock at night. Okay, you train during the day. And uh, that would be an issue, I guess, in really cold weather, too. But I think it's even more of an issue in hot weather uh, and and in heat. Just there are certain things you cannot do. And so that affects the quality of soccer. Therefore, the quality of the product reflected on the pitch. People say, oh, MLS is like a a, a punter's league and all these derogatory things that I disagree with, by the way. But I would argue some of it, some of the reason MLS may look different in the in the product itself versus what people are accustomed to seeing on television from Europe is you're playing in hot months. Training isn't quite uh, as robust because you're playing, uh, you're, you're training at, at uh, it, when the sun is up and it's, and it's oppressively hot. And it's very, very difficult. Um, and you saw MLS kind of get cute with the scheduling in the MLS's back tournament, Chris, uh, acknowledging my point, which is, okay, if they're going to play matches, it would be at 9 a.m. or it would be at 9 p.m. Um, right. That's the way it is in large parts of the country during the summer. So I, I, I acknowledge all these issues that are mentioned that that uh, Disco George mentions that she mentions regarding um, the winter. I agree in, in a lot of cases, uh, but in the summer you have problems that are just being glossed over right now, and actually I think affect MLS's product when you compare MLS's product to other soccer leagues. And I know there are leagues in South America that play on a similar calendar. Most of those leagues uh, are in the Southern Hemisphere or have large portions of their country in the Southern Hemisphere. So that means that they're effectively playing on what would be what we call the European calendar, in, yeah. at least in terms of their seasons. And it, and it should be, too, if, if U.S. soccer or Major League Soccer said, OK, we're going to change the calendar, and it's probably MLS is going to change it. Uh, it has the potential to change it rather than U.S. soccer. But MLS changes the calendar and aligns it with other soccer calendars. That's going to improve the the, the likelihoods that it'll be able to get more in transfer fees for players because all the, everything's aligned. You mean that the, the, uh, the clubs are looking at players 
um, and seeing them and, 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 and in those transfer windows, they can probably get more uh, revenue from uh, transfer signings than they could as it is now, where it is very haphazard in terms of, of the, the actual calendar. Pastor says, I don't really follow. Yeah, yeah. Go not, ahead. Say, transfers are a big part of the reason I think the calendars have to be aligned. So all this weather discussion is, is one thing. Transfers and the, and the transfer market, that's why I'm actually, even though I'm a pro-rel advocate, I say you can't do pro-rel on the current U.S. calendar. You have to, do the, you have to align the calendars to where you're, you're in the most, you're aligning your, your transfer windows, I think is really important. So, yeah, uh, thank you for making that point. Yeah, Pasta says, I don't really follow MLS, even though we have a team in town. I don't care so much about the calendar in terms of aligning with Europe. There are plenty of leagues that follow the same schedule, Brazil, Argentina, Ireland, as MLS. I think MLS would be better served off with a single table instead of the conference nonsense. Top four go to a playoff, home and away ties for the semis and a single game final on Thanksgiving each year. And th- and that's the challenge that we have is that uh, MLS is already talking about uh, Las Vegas uh, becoming the the thirtieth team in Major League Soccer. Um, the, the likelihoods, you know, the, uh, it, it's going to happen. They're going to go up to thirty two, and once they're at thirty two, who knows? Maybe they'll go beyond that. So to have a single table, I, I think it's just, I mean, not doable in a country that this size and and with that many teams. Yeah, agree. JP says, JP says, uh, speaking for myself, most of my MLS viewing uh, for my local team came from about June to September or so. Once the European leagues get up and running and NHL season starts, simply not, not enough room for MLS. This has been the case since MLS's inception in 1996. I'd follow sporadi- sporadically in spring, more in the summer, tail off in August, then by fall be done with it and often amazed the season was still ongoing the revs were really fun to watch the season so i did make more space for them at times even later in the year but only when they were up against nothing else i can't imagine mls significantly increasing viewership uh, with a calendar change it should be done but ratings wouldn't be the justification and and that's the thing though too if mls did uh, align the calendar with Europe, and that did align then with the the transfer windows, and it did increase the amount of money that um, MLS clubs could uh, sell players for. Um, that in turn would be, give MLS the opportunity to to get some of these players some some more money equals bigger players bringing them into the league from wherever they are in the world, but gives an opportunity to grow the league from a technical quality level, which would should have a, a direct um, uh, relation to TV viewership. So a calendar change, I mean, just by doing a calendar change doesn't necessarily mean it's going to uh, increase TV ratings. It could, depending on how they schedule it. I mean, if you did have a MLS Cup final um, on Thanksgiving Day or opening ga- a game of the season on Thanksgiving Day, yes, that could have an impact on, on TV viewership. Dave says, my MLS regular season watching is probably like JP, an occasional match on a summer evening between the end of the Stanley Cup and the start of Liga MX and college football. It's a small window. I caught a few MLS playoff games and they were outstanding. The the Bobby Wood winner for Real Salt Lake and the New England-New York game stood out. Games were hard fought, well played and fun to watch. The MLS season has awful timing 
relative to sports and soccer leagues, I care much about. So I watch very little of it. But as others note, changing time of the season would carry its own risks. Roberto says, I am not sure about interleague play uh, between uh, Liga MX and MLS and how that will affect the, the MLS season. A long break will set teams back and make for a very long season. The idea of playing at the same time as most of the European leagues will make it harder to pick up more viewers and will likely affect attendance. Uh, you both, Kartik and Chris, and many of the World Soccer Talk followers say they watch so many games already. So why would adding uh, the MLS be likely uh, be likely to be a good idea? Lokofuti says uh, about the schedule. Chris and Kartik touched on it with excellent points in a recent podcast. One of the main, if not the main, reasons the league began as a summer league was for the use of NFL stadiums and to have. Uh, a tenant during the summer. I don't think a lot of the studies were done back then on weather impact. Hilarious when it's pointed out that leagues in the Southern Hemisphere play a yearly season. Of course they do. It's winter over there and and it's summer here. Just a quick look at the weather around the world will tell you that. Simple football. Simple. Football is played better under fall and winter conditions. Maybe Maybe the calendar works for now for those involved in the league and everyone is happy. But don't kid yourselves uh, that MLS started as a summer league because of the weather. Tom says the MLS has broken their playoffs. They mean nothing and don't really have anything to do with the regular season. I'd at least have two-legged playoffs for the rounds before the final. I understand having a single final, but I've lost a lot of respect for for their playoff system and the wisdom of the folks running that league. I stop watching the playoffs every year when all the top teams lose in the first couple of rounds in those one-off playoff games. Now, Kartik, you had a great discussion uh, this week with Dave Denholm, and we'll be releasing that audio uh, on this podcast stream as well as on social media and, and on the website. And that goes into talking uh, partly about uh, kind of the playoff systems and, and whether the current system in play is the, the smartest way to go or not. And then, last but not least, uh, Mukator says, and this is on a different topic completely, this is about the uh, biennial World Cup, Mukator says, interested to hear thoughts on FIFA's latest walk back on their two-year World Cup proposal, suggesting instead an expanded Confederations Cup, similar to Nations League but cross-Confederation. I actually think this is a great idea and would create matches people want to see while streamlining the calendar. Nations League and Confederations Cup in years one and two, Confederations Cup and World Cup in years three and four. I would love a cross-Confederation Nations League with, say, the top two from each confederation in one part next to in another etc it was interesting too actually on that uh, state of the league's call um state of the league call by don garber this week he was asked about his thoughts in regards to uh the biennial world cup and his point was that he, he thinks that the actual clubs themselves should be involved in the discussions that, that there shouldn't be just decisions made on a national team level but uh he, I mean, to give him credit, he said he said that uh, he didn't think the biennial World Cup idea was was a good idea. That uh, it definitely dilutes the quality and the meaning of the World Cup. Um, and, and I have to give him credit for that, Kartik. What about you? Yeah, uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to hear Commissioner Garber say that, and I think that he's absolutely right. 
I, I think that there is a growing consensus around club football that it's a uh, that it's a bad idea. And not just European uh, leagues, but now uh, MLS and other other leagues across the globe as well. That it's a disruptor that is unneeded. Yeah, it, it's a mess, right? I mean, you've got all these dif- different confederations. You've got FIFA. You've got. Uh, in the clubs, um, you know, whether it's um, International Champions Cup, I mean, all these different types of things going on. There's so many different factors, so many different games, and the players are suffering from from having too many games, and uh, everyone's not on the same page. So it, it is a mess. So I'm not surprised um, with the biennial World Cup. It's not over yet. That that idea. I think uh, FIFA has a meeting on December 20th. Uh, I believe. They're either going to be voting on it or discussing discussing a vote on it. Uh, it still could happen, but there's a lot of things that, that need to be fixed. And, and also, by the looks of it, it looks like uh, so definitely UEFA and CONMEBOL are against the biennial, biennial World Cup idea. Uh, it looks like CONCACAF is for it. So it's interesting that uh, Don Garber and MLS uh, seem to be against the idea. Uh, USSF, the US Soccer Federation, hasn't said anything publicly about um, the biennial World Cup. So we, we don't know where they stand. I'd imagine that they would be for it. So if they are for it, that does show kind of uh, that USSF and MLS don't always agree on everything. Yeah. And, and I think it's also pretty telling because there has been a, a lot of concessions given by CONCACAF under Montagliani to MLS. So seeing the, 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 the break on this issue, to me, is, is kind of interesting. Now, uh, just a reminder, Chris, as you mentioned, common the ball is against it, but unfortunately, the way FIFA elections work, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not uh, weighted by uh, population right. or number of registered players or any of that stuff. So South America is as uninfluential in a FIFA vote as Oceania, basically, that, I mean, which is absurd, right? It's ridiculous that... Uh, that Samoa would count the same as Brazil, but that's the way uh, FIFA works. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the if, if Concacaf, uh, Africa, and Asia were behind something, it'll pass. Yeah, and Concacaf too, having uh, so many countries, and it's one country, one vote. So it is one of those things. Even if the well, the U.S. probably would vote for it, and then with uh, Concacaf, and then and then yeah, Concacaf, and like you said, Oceania. Uh, would probably be for it, and and that could, um, I mean, definitely be a huge factor in in getting it approved. Perhaps we'll have to wait and see. So, listeners, we got we covered a lot this week. Actually, a lot more than than I thought. Going into the podcast, I thought we wouldn't have as many topics to talk about. So, we really appreciate uh, the listener mailbag and all of your really, really, really thought out, well done uh, feedback. Uh, if you've got something that you'd like to ask us uh, or share any uh, comments or observations or thoughts, we'd love to read your comment out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And then keep an eye out, too, for the uh, the episode with uh, Kartik Krishnayer and Dave Denholm from uh, LAFC uh, radio commentator there uh, on the topic of um, parity in Major League Soccer as well as um, playoffs etc so keep an eye out for that on this podcast stream as well as the website and social media and in closing um, don't forget you can listen to the podcast every Thursday on your favourite podcast 
podcast um, services, whether it's Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Audio Boom, Overcast, and of course, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. In Kartik, heading into another weekend, it's going to be a, b- a big weekend. Uh, matches from around the world. Uh, it's getting colder over there, um, but it's there's some great title races going on around the world, as well as, of course, the MLS uh, Cup final. And then, of course, the Liga MX uh, final, too. Uh, I think it's uh, Club Lyon against Atlas um, playing this weekend. So you're going to have some big uh, uh, Liga MX TV, TV ratings to talk about uh, next week, I'm sure. What should they do? Enjoy their football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.